0: everyone this is jeffrey care i'm back with another installment of the news of the month series on the care reviews podcast this is where i talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me although this installment is a very special one because it's all about the oscars The 93rd Academy Awards recently took place on April 25th, and I'm here to give my reactions to everything about it, from the winners to the telecast itself. Joining me today to discuss them is a guest writer for a local magazine run by his parents in Tennessee titled Sophisticated Living Nashville. Please welcome Jack Mahanes. Hey, how's it going, Jeffrey? Hi, uh, hey, it's going good, and how's it going with you? It's going great. So are you ready to start discussing this year's Oscars? Absolutely, let's do this. Okay, now before we discuss the winners and how we did our predictions, I want to start by talking about
1: the telecast itself. What do you think of the show? Uh, the show, I liked what they were trying to go for. I thought it was, you know, different, especially given the circumstances of this year. At first, it was... Working out, I had my issues with them not showing clips from the nominated performances or in some of the other categories, but then, of course, I think towards the end of the night, it began to go off the rails, of course, when they decided to present Best Picture before the two lead acting categories, and we know exactly why they did that, and it was so stupid that they put all their eggs in one basket for that.
0: Well, yeah, we'll discuss more about that later. But I do agree with others that, yeah, the telecast did seem to be lacking in clips. Like, they only saved them for, like, the Feature Film Awards and Best Original Song as well. But, yeah, you know, in fact, one of my favorite things about last year's telecast is how they presented the acting categories where rather than trying to find one individual scene of the performance, they instead did a montage taking the best of all of the nominees' performances in the film. Right. Exactly. As for my thoughts on the telecast as a whole... In the beginning, I thought it was looking very classy. I mean, we should say that, you know, this telecast was shot in 24 frames per second and in 2 by 35 aspect ratio, making it look and feel like a actual movie. And I thought it was nice that we already had our first award of the night presented about five minutes in, which usually is about 10 minutes or so. And overall, I thought the telecast itself, while not perfect, it was a pretty decent one. I also thought the producers did the best job they possibly could under these circumstances, especially, you know, having the ceremony that took place in Union Station almost felt reminiscent of like the very first Oscar ceremonies where it was just
1: like a banquet yes I did really like the intro with Regina King you know walking into the room where the Oscars were going to be held and it had like opening credits and all that I thought that was really cool
0: uh, again, that's what I meant by. I thought I had a very classy intro. And again, you know, the ceremony received mixed reviews, but even worse from a commercial standpoint, well, this year's Oscars telecast reached an all-time low in the ratings. Although, it's not too surprising, given that there weren't any big studio movies that were big box office hits in contention, likely due to a majority of them getting delayed from last year because of the pandemic, coupled with the ratings for award shows in general declining a lot lately. However, what is surprising is is that the Oscars have fallen below 10 million viewers for the first time ever. I saw that that's that's crazy. To my point of how, you know, a lot of the movies are in contention this year. Well, it's great that, you know, we got to see, you know, more underdog movies in contention. That's not great for the general public at large because most of them have never even
1: heard of them. Exactly, though I will say, I was worried when the pandemic began that we were not going to get really great films for the next Oscars and the opposite turned out to be true. We got some really great films. You
0: know, it also didn't help that all the musical performances they could have promoted from the main telecast took place during the pre-show
1: yeah i didn't like that at all i thought they could have had maybe people performing from the dolby via satellite and had that be a part of the actual telecast i would have much preferred that as opposed to having it be done pre-recorded during the red carpet i think that was a big mistake on the producers
0: well, yeah, I can understand of how, you know, all oh, they've been trying to produce shorter telecasts in recent years. And, you know, hey, I thought it was an interesting compromise to, you know, have all musical performances take place during the pre-show. Well, yeah, it probably was a big mistake from a marketing standpoint because, well, for those who may be interested in watching musical performances, well, they have no point to watch the outskirts telecast now because they all took place during the pre-show.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Now, as for the winners, I'd like to run down each winner in all 23 competitive categories in order of the presentation. Now, Regina King presented both Screenplay Awards, which were the first two awards of the night. And already it was off to a great start when Emerald Fennell won Best Original Screenplay for Promising Young Woman, becoming the first woman to have won a writing award since Diablo Cody for Juno back in 2007.
1: Yes, that was the first award tonight, and I was saying um, as Regina King was going through that category, I was like, "Please, Emerald Fennell, please, Emerald Fennell," because some people were saying that it could have gone to Aaron Sorkin. There was big support for Sound and Metal, but I still went with my heart and I went with Emerald Fennell. And um, when Regina King said her name, I was like, "Yes, thank goodness, Promising Young Woman won something because if there's anything that really made that movie work really well aside from Kerry Mulligan, it was its script." And yes, I mean, I think if Promising Woman was going to win something, it had to be that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if it's the mold of, you know, several more recent original screenplay winners, like A Get Out or a Parasite last year is this, you know, original thriller that takes so many twists and turns. Or The Crying Game many years ago. Well,
1: yeah, even that too. Exactly. And like, I knew like Emerald Fennell was not going to win by a huge landslide, given that there were a lot of other great scripts But, you know, I think The Trial of Chicago 7 was probably a very solid second. I mean, there was even talk about Minari upsetting for original screenplay, but I didn't see that happening. It's not a very writerly type movie that the Academy usually gives this award to. I just kind of knew, not just because Emerald Fennell won the Critics' Choice, the Writers Guild, and the BAFTA, but just because her script for Promising a Woman is usually the type of original script that wins this award exactly right and then
0: when it got to best adapted screenplay well (laughs) regina king should not have presented that award in particular because her feature directorial debut one night in miami was not only in contention there but it also pretty much had no chance of winning at that point
1: yes i hate it when the producers do that when they have someone present a category where their project is one of the nominees and there was another example that i know we're gonna get to a little later yeah I thought for a while that Nomadland was likely going to win, but then I saw The Father, and then I started to think, you know what, this is more of a writer's movie, where Nomadland is more of a director's movie. So that's why I thought The Father, this was going to be the place where they were going to give it a win. I correctly predicted this, and I thought it was very well deserved.
0: Oh, yeah, me too. In fact, this was actually one of my two super bets on Gold Derby, and I ended up being right that the father was going to win, which is not only a great acknowledgement to Florian Zeller, who not only wrote the original play as well, but also directed the movie, which is a huge priority, but also gave a second Oscar to co-writer Christopher Hampton after having previously won for Dangerous Liaisons back in 1988. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's great. He won again. Hmm. And in the next segment, Lord Dunn presented two awards. First was Best International Feature Film, which went to another round, where I thought Thomas Winterberg gave a very clever opening to his acceptance speech.
1: I thought so too. And there was talk about. Um, hope I'm saying this correctly. Quavadas Aida. Am I saying that correctly?
0: Quavadas Aida.
1: Aida, thank you very much. Some people thought that could pull off a surprise, but I just knew Another Round had it. Another Round is just such a fun, crowd-pleasing movie with the ending. Everyone talked about the ending, and I just thought it's such a great film. And I'm really glad that Another Round did win in the end. And yes, that was a great speech by Thomas Vinterberg.
0: Well, yeah, who even acknowledged his daughter who had died, I believe, prior to the making of the movie. Correct. And and not to mention, it also
1: helps that he managed to sneak into Best Director lineup. That was why I stuck with Another Round for International Feature Film, even though there was talk about an upset. I just thought that director nomination and that I was seeing a lot of anonymous ballots that were saying, Another round's an absolute masterpiece. And I was just like, okay, come on. Who are we kidding? It's winning. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. And then Laura Dern presented Best Supporting Actor to the biggest acting walk of the night, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: He absolutely deserved to win. I mean, that was a knockout performance. I mean, he was great in Get Out, but he topped himself with his performances, Fred Hampton and Judas and the Black Messiah.
0: Well, yeah, I even mentioned in the live blog Kevin Jacobson hosted for Gold Derby, where I mentioned, well, Fred Hampton should hopefully be proud of looking down on that moment.
1: Yes, absolutely. Early on, Leslie Odom Jr. had a pretty big lead. And then Sacha Baron Cohen, I think, at one point took the lead. Daniel Kaluuya absolutely deserved to win. And someone who deserves major credit for calling this way before someone, anyone even saw Juice and Black Messiah. I remember watching a slugfest on Gold Derby with Tom O'Neill, Ann Thompson of IndieWire, Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood, And Clayton Davis of Variety. And everyone was talking about Leslie o Jr., Leslie o Jr. And then Clayton Davis said, I have this feeling that when Judas is going to open up, Daniel's going to completely sweep the season. Major credit to him for calling it before anyone even saw Judas in the Black Messiah. Well, well, yeah.
0: In fact, he was the only actor to have swept the season all around because even those who may have had more of a lead, they still had a miss somewhere.
1: Yes, exactly. And so it's just like with Viola Davis four years ago. She was the only one who won – absolutely everything for Fences, and there was just no way she was losing, just like there was no way Daniel Kaluuya was losing this year.
0: Well, moving on to uh, the next segment, where Don Cheadle presented the awards for Best Makeup and Hairstyling and Best Costume Design, both of which went to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.
1: Yes, and I predicted both of them. I remember I was talking to Tarek Khan of Fox News about a week before the Oscars, and even we were talking about this the day before the Oscars, and he was agonizing over who was going to win costume design because with Maureen's Black Bottom, it's really just Viola Davis that has a few costume changes and no one else is really wearing, like, a costume.
0: Especially given that most of the story takes place during one recording session on one hot day in Chicago.
1: Exactly. But I just thought Maureen's won everything. I was like, okay, it's probably going to win, and it ended up winning both. And so... I was glad I got that right. I didn't think Mulraney's was a perfect movie. I did feel like it was more of an actor showcase than an actual beginning to end storyline, but. Those two parts of the movie, the costume designs and the makeup and hairstyling, were fantastic. And so I thought those were well deserved. I agree with everything you just
0: said. I thought Marini was good, but not great. But uh, what is worth noting about these two ones, okay, makeup and hairstyling, I believe this is the first black team of makeup and hairstylists to have won that Oscar. They very well deserved this. Legendary costume designer Ian Roth won her second Oscar, which was also her first following The English Patience back in 1996. Right. Okay. Next segment. Well, Brian Cranston presented an honorary award, the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. And then, live from Korea, while well, Bong Joon Ho, last year's Best Director winner for Parasites, presented best director this year and okay it was quite surprising that best director was presented less than one hour into the show
1: right the one person mentioned to me it might have been because bong chun-ho was presenting from south korea i don't know what time it was over there but probably it was better to present this early just so bong chun-ho could be there to present that award but um yes i was really thrilled that it was chloe Zhao that won i mean it was it was a lock it was a lock from the moment that movie premiered But still, what she did with that movie, which is a fantastic movie, was absolutely extraordinary. And so I thought she was great. I think she gave a very lovely speech. And yeah, that's all I have to say about that category.
0: Well, yeah, in fact, uh, one thing we didn't mention is that when these winners were announced, the voiceover announcers haven't been adding additional details like their nominations or wins before, or the fact that Chloe Zhao not only became the second woman to have ever won Best Director, but the first woman of color to have ever done so.
1: Yes, I was surprised that they uh, they didn't do that this year, and I, I have no idea why they didn't do that.
0: Well, hey, it's something they can always learn from, you know, as we move forward next year. But next segment, Riz Ahmed presented the next two awards, first of which was Best Sound. And it's another example of, look, you should not have people presenting awards. They happen to be associated with one of the nominees. Like in this case, it was Sound of Metal, which, hey, he at least got to present the award to the sound team on that film. But still, he should not have been presenting
1: that at all. Exactly. I really don't get why the producers always do this. I mean, yes, Sound of Metal was a slam dunk to win best sound but still like what if it hadn't won that would have been awkward yes it would have and the only time i don't take issue with someone presenting an award to someone involved in their project is like if someone was an acting award the year before and they followed the tradition of presenting to the opposite gender like jennifer lawrence a few years ago had to present to Matthew McConaughey when Christian Bale was nominated for the movie she was nominated for that year. I don't mind that. Well,
0: there's another example we'll get to momentarily, but in any case, one of the biggest locks of night sound the middle taking best sound.
1: Right, and I thought that was very well-deserved. I knew from the moment I saw that movie that it had it in the back, because what it did really kind of making you feel like you're Riz Ahmed's character watching that movie with all like the different mm-hmm. sound changes and everything— and I thought that was really cool what they did.
0: Okay, and then came best live-action
1: shorts, I believe, which went to
0: Two Distant Strangers.
1: Now, here's a confession I will make. I usually don't watch the shorts just because they just haven't interest in me for a while, but... Tarek did encourage me recently saying that I should watch the shorts just because they're such great material, and it will definitely help you with your predictions. Now, this was the first category of the night that I got wrong. I thought it was going to be The Letter Room because I heard from Tarek that Two Distant Strangers was divisive, and he actually thought it was going to be feeling through, which that I actually did watch the day before the Oscars, and I thought that that was a very nice short film. But yes, it went to this in Strangers. It was leaning the predictions, mostly in the Gold Derby All Stars. And I was just like, ah, I should have gone with that.
0: Well, I must admit, I, for a while, had the letter room winning because, well, it has the superstar factor and that stars Oscar Isaac. But, you know, it was one category where I may end up making a switch at the last minute before the prediction center on Golderby closed. I settled on two distant strangers. I guess mainly because I've seen a lot of people predicting it and I was able to see that on Netflix and I was glad I did because man, I ended up getting two out of three shorts categories. Correct. Nice. Very good job, Jeffrey. And now onto the animated categories, both of which were presented by Reese Witherspoon. Best animated short film went to what I thought was very well deserving If Anything Happens, I Love You.
1: Yes. And I feel like that was a slam dunk to win.
0: Yes, as well as the next category, Best Animated Feature Film, no surprise, Soul. It very well deserved to win. Well, well, yeah, because if I remember correctly, I believe it was actually one of the last movies you were able to catch up on before the Oscars.
1: Yes, I watched that the night before the Oscars, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why I was late to the party scene. I guess because anime movies are not top priority for me, but yeah. And not to mention,
0: this was not only the third Oscar win for director Pete Docter, but he's now the most awarded animated filmmaker in that category ever. And great for him. He's made so many great films over the years. And in the next two categories, they were both documentary categories and they were presented by Marley Matlin and her speaker, Jack Jason. And Best Documentary Short Subject was the first category I got wrong because while well, people were thinking it was between a concerto is a conversation and a love song for LaTesha, the latter of which I predicted. But no, I went to, of course, the Holocaust film, Colette.
1: Yes, and we know the Academy does love short films that are based on the Holocaust. holocaust theme films do very very
0: well with the academy i guess next time when we're trying to predict the winner in the short categories if there's a holocaust movie you have to predict it
1: yes for yeah. sure
0: well i really least went back on track in the next category which was best documentary feature length film well this one i know you got wrong but i thankfully <laughs> stuck with my octopus teacher
1: yes i really wanted to stick with my octopus teacher i just was hearing from some people that their best sources were saying crip camp had it in the back And these are the same people that predicted Icarus to win the Oscar three years ago. So if something's like way ahead on Gold Derby for documentary, I am never ignoring that again. Well, yeah. I mean, no matter what sources say, well, you should always have to take them with a grain of salt. Exactly. And so I really should have stuck with my octopus teacher because what helped me get documentary right two years ago, um, because some people were thinking it was going to be RBG. I went with Free Solo because it had won the BAFTA, but last year I ignored it just because I thought American Factory was such a great documentary and the Obamas were behind it. But this year I really should have stuck with the BAFTA winner
0: and PGA winner as well.
1: Yes, exactly. So I cannot believe I was so stupid to not predict that. Well, again, nobody's perfect. Okay, the next two
0: awards were presented by two separate presenters. First of which was Best Visual Effects, which was presented
1: by Steven Yeun. He presented the award to. And we all knew that was going to happen. Christopher Nolan has had such a great track record in this category with Inception, with Interstellar. We knew this was inevitable.
0: Yeah, the only time a Nolan film has lost Best Visual Effects was The Dark Knight in 2008, which of course went to a Best Picture nominee, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button.
1: That's right. The other thing I've noticed about Visual Effects and why I've been very good at predicting this category is usually the film that's the most Oscar-like film usually wins like, the most likely of the five to get into Best Picture. So, like, for example, uh, a few years ago, a lot of people were predicting War from the Planet of the Apes to win this, and I was just very skeptical of that. I mean, it's a great film and great visual effects. But Blade Runner 2049 was the more Oscar-caliber movie, and so that's why I went with that instead.
0: Not to mention it had more supports in other categories, like First Man did the year after.
1: Which is why I also predicted First Man for visual effects and knew very early on that 1917 was going to win visual effects. Oh, really? Even over the Irishman? Oh, yeah. I I knew Night 17 pretty much had visual effects in the bag, not Avengers Endgame.
0: And then here comes another presenter presenting an award. They happen to be connected to one of the nominated films. And, well, of course, as you alluded to earlier, this is where where you can give it a pass. And that's Brad Pitt presenting Best Supporting Actress to Yoo Jeong Yoon for Minari, a film he happens to have been an executive producer on, but this was the first time they had actually met each other.
1: Exactly. And I thought that was so adorable how Yoo Jong Yoon uh, just like, oh, Brad Pitt, it's so nice to meet you. When, where were you when we were filming the movie? So honored to meet you. And I just thought that was so adorable. And I think Yuzhong Yu delivered the speech of the night. I think she gave the best speech of the night, hands down. It's so interesting how with this category, all of us had a very hard time identifying who the frontrunner was. Because I remember last fall, Amanda Seyfried was leading. And I think we just had her there as a placeholder. I mean, she's very good in Mank, but it is a very understated role. She doesn't get like this big moment. She's there, she does a good job. And then uh, when Jodie Foster won the Golden Globe, I was like, what, what's going to happen now? And she didn't even get nominated. Oh, no, and, and then Maria Bakalova won the Critics' Choice, and I started to think, oh, wow, is she now the frontrunner? But then Ye Jung-Yoon won SAG and BAFTA, and then it's like it was inevitable that she was going to win, and it was well-deserved.
0: And I also wanted to mention how kind it was of Yoon to acknowledge Glenn Close in her acceptance
1: speech, which is just what Olivia Coleman did in Best Actress two years ago. Exactly, and we should also note that Glenn Close has extended her record for most losses by an actor without a win.
0: Well, yeah, she's now tied with Peter O'Toole. But living. I was referring to just living. Well, well, yeah, living. But in general, she's tied with Peter O'Toole now. Exactly. Next were Best Production Design and Best Cinematography, both of which were presented
1: by Halle Berry. And Best Production Design went to Mank. But I think we all knew that if anything, Mank was going to win that award. I mean, that was a given that it was going to win Production Design.
0: Well, yeah, it's similar to how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won this award last year, where the production designer and set decorator really did such a tremendous job of recreating that era
1: of Hollywood, which would definitely appeal to older members of the Academy. But I'll also admit, I'm a very old school person in general. I love the 60s, and that's why I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was actually my favorite film of 2019. I thought, I mean, Brad Pitt winning, well deserved, but... I'm really glad the production design team won because it really brings you into the 60s. Just like Mank really brought you back to the era of Citizen Kane. And speaking of
0: Mank, it actually won the next award, which was a bit of a surprise because a lot of us were predicting Land to win. But no, it instead ended up going to Eric Schmidt for Mank, which
1: happens to have been his very first film as cinematographer. That was a surprise, but not a huge surprise me. It did win at the Cinematographers Guild. You know, that wind didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it did have one precursor. But yes, I mean, it gave it to Cold War over Roma a couple of years ago. And they
0: gave it to Lion over La Land a few years ago exactly in any case back to main cinematography when i was very glad that happened it was my personal winner and you know eric messerschmidt did such incredible work with the look at that film you know making it look as if it was made in the 1940s with the black and white cinematography and you know especially remarkable that this was his first film as cinematographer after having worked on camera crew for other movies and cinematographer on television shows
1: yes though i was personally rooting for nomadland because just seeing that movie on the big screen and just the look of that film was extraordinary. Because I saw that film at AMC IMAX, and I just thought it was just more than anything, it was, it was a moving story. But just to look at that movie, it was a great experience seeing it in the theater. And so that's why I kind of wish Nomadland Landed one But, you know, I can't really complain much about Mank winning. It was great work and no complaints. I just wish it was Nomadland.
0: Well, yeah, it's just another example of how if it was just the cinematographer's branch of the Academy voting, maybe Nomadland would have had a better shot. But when you have the entire Academy voting, they're probably going to look more towards Mank as the showiest cinematography out of all the nominees.
1: And also, we can never forget, the Academy loves movies about Hollywood. And Menck was the nomination leader. It had 10 nominations. So, I mean, they couldn't give it to Gary Oldman or Amanda Seyfried and certainly not to David Fincher. But I'm sure they wanted to vote for in more than one place. And I guess production design had in the bag. I guess they were like, okay, let's give it cinematography as well
0: maybe i mean in fact i heard another stat of outlook if you see a film with you know double digit nominations it's got to win more than one if it's not going home empty-handed like lincoln that year we all knew daniel day lewis had best actor in the bag but you know people were i guess questioning what other words it was going to win but it surprisingly won production design to go along with
1: it that's right
0: now on to best film editing which was definitely a head scratcher because a lot of us knew it was between sound of metal and trial the chicago 7 i stuck with sound of because even though Trial had the most editing, which typically wins this award, I just thought, uh, you know, the fact that Sound of Metal won... The BAFTA, which, like the Academy, is voted on by a number of people who aren't editors. I thought, well, if it could win there, then maybe it could win at the Oscars. I mean, BAFTA did correctly forecast, you know, Hacksaw Ridge winning in 2016 over La La Land, as well as the fact
1: that, you know, the whole stat of every
0: film editing winner since 2007 has at least
1: had a corresponding sound nomination. Right, and I went to Trial Chicago 7, which I will explain that a little later in the show, But I knew it was between the two. And so when Harrison Ford presented this award to Sound of Metal, I was not surprised. But let's just say that me predicting Trial of Chicago 7 in another category, I knew I was like, oh, man, I was so stupid to predict that. In the
0: first year where we have only one Sound Category as opposed to two separate ones as we had for years. Well, that sounds that still stands when it comes to Best Film Editing. Yes. Remember Whiplash a few years ago? Uh Uh-huh. Again, every film editing winner since Born Ultimatum has also had a corresponding sound nomination at the very least. That's right. Okay, and then Viola
1: Davis presented
0: the other Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award to Tyler Perry.
1: Which is very nice. I mean, he gave a really, really nice speech. And yeah, I mean, I I love Tyler Perry. So it was a very nice speech and a very well-deserved award for Tyler Perry.
0: Yes, and then came both music categories presented by Zendaya. Best original score, no surprise, went to Soul.
1: Yes, and I think we all knew that Soul had this one in the bag. And I don't really know of anyone who tried to predict anything different. And yeah, it was a well-deserved win. Also, such a great acceptance speech from John Baptiste. Oh, yes, absolutely. He gave one of the best acceptance speeches of the night. I thought what he said in his speech was so wonderful.
0: And then came Best Original Song, which was probably the biggest surprise of the night to me. Going into the night, we all thought it was kind of a three-way race between Speak Now from One Night in Miami, which I predicted, Who's from from Eurovision Song Contest, which I know you predicted, and The Dark Horse, which was Seen from the Life Ahead by the Always the Bridesmaid and Never the Bride, Diane Warren. Yet Zendaya announced the winner, and it was neither of those. <laughs> No, it was not.
1: Yeah, it was a
0: Fight for You from Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: But looking back, I mean, yes, we were surprised because we didn't predict it. But looking back, this award tends to go to big name, up and coming musicians. Or really not up and coming, but people who like are in their prime. Like people who are like having their big career moment. Like Adele swept the Grammys and the next year she won it for Skyfall. Um, Sam Smith. Swept the grains, and then he won it for writings on the wall, which was a bit of a shocker because a lot of us thought that was going to Lady Gaga and Diane Warren for till it happens to you from the hunting ground. I know, and then once uh Smith won, I was like, oh, it was so obvious because he had won the globe as well. The Golden Globes they have a good but not perfect, I think every couple years they get it wrong, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, they get it right. But her is a really big name in the music industry right now. And also, Jesus and the Black Messiah was a very popular film. Like, it got six nominations, including Best Picture. And like I said earlier, it was only a surprise because we didn't predict it. But like, once it happened, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense.
0: Well, yeah, we should say that, you know, Eurovision and Life Ahead were lone representations in song. One Night to Miami wasn't a lone nominee in song. It still had support in other categories, but still underperformed. Yeah, of course. Judas and the Black Messiah, well, that was a Best Picture nominee, so that was obviously higher on people's watch list of movies to catch up
1: on if they hadn't already, so of course. I mean, Hear My Voice was also in a Best Picture nominee, The Trials yeah. of Chicago 7, but mm-hmm. that just never caught on. But yeah, it was a surprise, but not too much surprise if, in hindsight. I mean, we should have given her more credit that she could win mm-hmm. than we we all did.
0: And then came the In Memoriam segment, which was kind of a mixed bag that, okay, it was introduced by Angela Bassett. I thought the In Memoriam segment seemed rushed, but I thought they did the best job possible to include as many of the countless people who've died within the past year. What did you think of it?
1: I think they rushed it. I feel like it was, you know, they started off a little slow, and then they started rushing, and then, of course, when they got to Sean Connery and Chadwick Boseman at the very end, it was just like, okay, you know, I really feel like they messed that up. They really just should have, you know, taken their time like they have in the past, give everyone who's passed on in the industry the respect they deserve. I really don't think that was handled well at all.
0: Well, hey, I was at least glad that, you know, at the end of it, they put up a sign that said for a full list of people who died within that past year, you can go to the Academy website.
1: But still, I think you do want to give, no matter how big of a name the person was, you do want to give everyone equal amount of respect.
0: Then came Best Picture, which was surprising that wasn't even the last award to be presented on the telecast. In fact, it was the first time that happened since 1971 where the telecast that year ended with Charlie Chaplin accepting his honorary Oscar.
1: Yeah, I really did not like that at all. And oh, I just yeah. feel like Best Picture, Perry Nemiroff of Collider said Best. Best Picture is like, it's really the culmination of everything. It's like, you know, no matter how big of a star you are or, or what you did on the film, Best Picture brings it all together even though the producers are the only ones that get to accept the award you know it is basically honoring everything that went into the film and so that should always be the last category and i really hope they never make that mistake again because of course we're going to get to it later why yeah obvious why they did
0: it in any case well the bafta streak is now finally over as Land became the first winner from across the pond to have won the oscar since 12 years of slave back in 2013
1: and also i will say this i'm so glad that my favorite film of the year has finally won best picture i think the last time my favorite film of the year won best picture was no country for old matt i mean that's the last time i think my favorite film of the year won and so i mean not not that there there were bad winners in between but they just weren't my first choice. Which is fair. Yes, but I did. I just thought that Nomadland, it was just such an amazing artistic achievement. And usually those slow burn movies are like not the type of movies that align with my taste. I mean, I respect them and I'll watch them, but they're just not the ones that I get the most excited about. But I think because I saw this movie on the big screen with of course, no distractions, I was able to fully pay attention to it And I just thought it was a beautiful movie. And I just thought what Chloe Zhao did was so extraordinary. I'm really happy it won. Now, I predicted, because I was talked into it. Now, of course, I don't blame my friend Tariq Khan for this, because he did really make a good rational case. But I predicted The Trial of the Chicago 7, because it was going to have the support of the actors branch, given that it won SAG Ensemble. It was a film that was not hated by anyone whereas Land, there were people that were going to love it and there were some people that were going to be very bored by it which i was worried would not do well on the preferential ballot i mean if it was just plurality voting where you just check off one name we wouldn't even be questioning the possibility of an upset but i just thought because of the preferential ballot that maybe the chicago 7 was going to be the more generally liked film but I was wrong, and I was happy to be wrong, and, and I don't blame Tarek. I mean, maybe it's just revenge because I told him it was Amy Adams' year for Vice a couple years ago. I'm, no, I'm just kidding, Tarek. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I convinced him to predict Amy Adams for The Globe, and of course that didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, I'm just kidding. No, Tarek's a great friend. You know, he made a convincing case, but I should have stuck with my heart and stuck with Nomadland. I was happy to be proven wrong.
0: In case of trial of the Chicago 7, that missed out on a Best Director nomination for Aaron Sorkin, and I think in order for a film to still win Best Picture without a directing nomination, it at least needs to prevail at PGA first. While not always the case as we saw with films like Apollo 13, Moulin Rouge, or Little Miss Sunshine, it was at least still helpful for other films like Driving Miss Daisy, Argo, and Screenbook, and trial couldn't even win PGA.
1: That's right. And when Nomadland won the PGA, that's when I originally switched back to Nomadland for Best Picture. But then once Tark's article came out, I know I'm repeating myself, but like he really did genuinely make a great case. I also should have known because I did not predict Trial to win anything else except for film editing. I should have known. If I'm not predicting it for directing, which it wasn't nominated for, or writing, then I should not predict it for Best Picture. Well, yeah, because the last film to have won Best Picture without
0: additional wins for directing nor Screenplay was, ironically, Chicago back in 2002. <laughs> it's now on to Best Actress, which was presented by Renee Zellweger, which is weird that she presented that instead of Best Actor, but in any case, cut to the chase. Now, Best Actress was the biggest nail-biter of all races this year because different people were winning different precursors. When she opened the envelope, it went to the actress in the Best Picture winner, Frances McDormand for Nomadland.
1: Yes, and so and we should point out the only one of the five who did not win any of the precursors was Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. I think that was because she was the only nominee for her film. And it was yeah. a film that was not really praised beyond Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn as well. But I think it was just kind of a movie that most people were like, eh, it was all right. Yeah. But um, yes, predicting this category was so hard because, like, like we mentioned, Andrew Day for the United States vs. Billy Holiday won the Golden Globe. Carrie Mulligan for Promising a Woman won the Critics' Choice. Viola Davis for Marini's Black Bottom won SAG. And then Frances McDormand for Nomadland won the BAFTA. And so predicting his category was so hard. I was hoping for personally that it was going to be Carey Mulligan because I thought it was one of the most interesting, cool performances and characters from a leading actress of the year, at least. And I'll say this, Frances McDormand is one of my favorite actresses of all time. I just think she's the type of actress who's incredibly versatile. She can play any role really, really well. And so was I surprised when she won? On a scale of one to 10, I would say about a six. At first, when Renee read her name, I was like, wow. But then as she was walking up to the stage and she then started speaking, I thought, okay, I understand why she won. And I think she won because one, she is uniquely beloved, but also because her role in Nomadland is very different from... Her other two wins for Fargo and for three billboards outside of Missouri. This is a very different role. I'm just surprised a very understated role like that one when the actors usually go for the big showy performance. And I just think Frances McDormand probably eked it out in the end. But still, like, she's in the three-timers club. Well, four, if you, you're going to count her when as a producer for Nomadland. Winning yeah, in general, club. she's a four-time Oscar winner now,
0: but three-time for acting.
1: Yes. She was my second choice after Carrie Mulligan, Mm -hmm. so I really have no complaints about her winning. She seemed really moved. Like, I know she doesn't care about awards. She's just like, if I win something, that's great, but if not, no big deal.
0: Yeah, I remember when she won the Emmy for all of Kydridge a few years ago, she went up to the stage, she said thank you, and then left.
1: Yeah, but she seemed really moved to have been honored once again for the Oscars. And so... Yeah, I mean, congratulations, Francis. You're you're one of the best.
0: We should say that No Man's Land is now the first Best Picture winner since Million Dollar Baby back in 2004 to have also taken home Best Actress. That's right. I cannot believe it's been that long. Well, hey, better late than ever absolutely now on to the final award of the night which ended up being best actor okay so it seemed obvious that the producers had best actor the last award of the night presented under the expectation that chadwick boseman was going to win posthumously for ma rainey's black bottom after having won the golden globe critics choice and sag but joaquin phoenix opens the envelope and said and the oscar goes to anthony hopkins
1: for the father yes and anthony hopkins wasn't even there which mean we can't blame him because he's 83 years old he's high risk to getting covid oh yeah and he's based in wales i believe his representatives were trying really hard to convince the academy to let him attend by zoom and they wouldn't let him and then olivia coleman was actually supposed to accept the award on his behalf if he won i mean at least that's what the guardian was reporting but they didn't even let that happen and so it was really just such an awkward ending, and it really kind of made you feel like that's it. Now, I will say this. While Chadwick Bozeman did give a fantastic farewell performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and if he had won, he would have been very worthy of it, I do honestly believe Anthony Hopkins gave the best performance in that category, and I was glad he won. And then you mentioned this earlier with, like, Renee Zellweger and also with Joaquin Phoenix— Like, why did Laura Dern and Brad Pitt follow the tradition of presenting for the opposite gender, but they had Renee Zellweger present Best Actress and Joaquin Phoenix present Best Actor? I really did not understand that. Well,
0: I think I've read in an article from Variety that an executive at ABC, well, I guess in collaboration with the producers of the telecast, they wanted to, you know, offer some surprises for those who, you know, watch the Oscars for years saying, oh, I know what's going to happen next,
1: but no, they do something different. Yeah, but it really fell flat they were putting all their eggs in one basket saying that, oh, Chadwick's a lock to win. It's going to be this big emotional moment. And how about we save it for the end? And if they were really paying attention to what was going on, they should have known that Anthony Hopkins was in with a really good shot. He had just won the BAFTA. And if you read the great majority of the anonymous ballots, most of them were going for Anthony Hopkins. And a lot of them were saying like, Look, Chadwick Boseman, I know he's going to win, but Anthony Hopkins gave my favorite. I'm going to vote for him.
0: Especially, you know, there are several important factors we should have took more into account one chadwick was the only one in his category who was not in a best picture nominee and the fact that marini's underperformed in oscar nominations missing out on bids for best picture and adapted screenplay really should have been the signal that really wasn't that strong of a contender and you know anthony he won the bafta over chadwick and bafta has correctly forecasted the eventual oscar winner over the sentimental favorite before like mark rylance when he won for bridge of spies over sylvester stallone and creed in 2015 or olivia coleman when she won best actress
1: for the favorites over glenn close for the wife two years ago exactly because the bafta you know contingent of the academy is a huge chunk of the academy mm-hmm. that is a big part of the academy if someone wins bafta we can't just write it off as oh they just awarded one of their own a brit like we have to take them seriously like i know people were definitely taking emmanuel riva for a more really seriously when she won the BAFTA she didn't win Jennifer Lawrence won for Silver Linings playbook but at least everyone was taking Emmanuel Riva seriously now I just feel like if they had put best picture last and let's just say they did actress actor and then picture it would have felt less awkward
0: well, yeah, exactly. I mean, sure, there will definitely still be people who are disappointed that Chadwick didn't win, but at least wouldn't have felt as awkward.
1: Yes, because then Joaquin Phoenix was like, the Academy Acceptance Award on Anthony Hopkins' behalf, and then they cut to Questlove, and Questlove was like, night, everyone, congratulations to the nominees and winners. And it was just like, that's it? Although, I
0: will say, it was nice that, you know, the telecast was able to end about 17 minutes over time, so
1: not bad. Not bad at all. It was just, like I, we were saying, starting with In Memoriam to... Best Actor being last, that's when I think the show went completely off the rails. I have my issues with the show. Like I said earlier, I really wish they had shown clips from the nominee performances because people who hadn't seen these movies deserve to see the amazing work that all 20 of them had done.
0: Hey, hopefully some notes that whoever produces next year's telecast can learn from. Not Steven Soderbergh. Well, yeah, he's probably better off producing actual television shows and movies, but not live telecasts. Not at all. I should add that, you know, while Anthony Hopkins wasn't able to accept the award on the telecast, he did post a video on his Instagram page uh, giving a late speech saying how honored he is to accept the award as well as, you know, paying tribute to Chadwick Boseman.
1: Exactly. And I think one thing that we all should take into account with future predictions is we got to stop relying on narratives. We have to sort of really pay attention to like what performance or what movie is getting the most passion. And I feel like, you know, we were talking about how a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, Chadwick's got in the bag. He doesn't need my vote. I'm going to vote for Anthony Hopkins because he gave my favorite. It was the same thing a couple of years ago with Glenn Close. Some people were saying, we've got to finally give it to Glenn Close. It's her seventh nomination. She's never won. And so many people were like, okay, yeah, she she has it, but she doesn't need my vote. I'm going to vote for You know, my personal favorite, no pun intended, Elijah Coleman. Uh, In fact, if
0: Chadwick were still alive to have experienced this season, I'm sure he would have felt fine with losing to Anthony Hopkins.
1: Yes, and here's the other thing I should mention. And a lot of my friends have been saying this, and I think they are absolutely correct. And people in Gold Derby have been saying this too. If Chadwick were still alive, Anthony would have likely swept the season. I just feel like they were only able to keep the narrative going for a certain amount of time. And I feel like once people really start seeing The Father, because The Father got a real surge in viewership at the right time. Like after Anthony Hopkins won the BAFTA, a lot of people were starting to check out The Father, and they realized what an extraordinary performance he gave. Maybe the best performance he's given since Silence of the Lambs. And I was happy that he won. I just was not happy with his award being last and him not even being there, which I don't blame him for. It felt like a very anticlimactic ending.
0: But, you know, hey, a great performance won over another great performance.
1: Yes, and both were very worthy. Riz Ahmed would have been worthy of winning as well. Overall, I guess we both
0: did, you know, best we could on our predictions and really also are mostly satisfied with the winner. So I think that just about does it for this discussion. So, Jack, I thank you very much for joining me today.
1: It was always a pleasure, Jeffrey.
0: For those who'd like to keep up with your work, where can people find you on the Internet?
1: What people should know about me is my words commentary It's really a hobby. I'm mostly a musician. My personal page is on Instagram is at Jack Mahanes. My music page is at Jack Mahanes 1997. I have a Facebook page and a music page under Jack Mahanes. I have an EP called Amnesia on iTunes and Spotify. And so you can find me there. Or if you want to look at my past predictions articles, you can look at Sophisticated Living Nashville on the editorial page.
0: Okay, great. So thank you again for joining me today, Jack. This was great. Thank you so much,
1: Jeffrey. I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast.
0: So that's just about does it for the news of this month. I will be back on June 7th to discuss any bits of entertainment news stories that I found interesting and or important from May. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at Carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.